today's scripture, I thought, you know, let's listen to it in a new way. I'd like you to actually close your eyes and pray with me as as I read um, the scripture from Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. So let's pray. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. From the very moment of the church's inception, it has been marked as a praying people, as a praying community. We're in the middle of this series here at Sunnybrook every given Sunday, and we're walking through the different practices that we engage in as a body when we come to meet each Sunday morning. And and we've talked, last week we talked about communion, and we've talked about um, being taught by the Word, and we've talked about uh, worshiping in song, and and about confession, and all of those things. Today we're talking about prayer. And I don't think I could argue that prayer is the most important of all of those practices, but I think I could make a pretty good case for it being the first of all of those practices. That when we look at the church, before we see it doing anything else in the book of Acts, before technically it's even a church, it's praying. Acts 2 is is commonly considered the birth of the church. When uh, the People are gathered together on the day of Pentecost, and they're in their upper room, and then the Holy Spirit comes down on them and fills them, and they go out, and they begin speaking in tongues and preaching the gospel to all these people, and the Lord adds to their number 3,000 that day, and the church is born. But before Acts 2 is Acts 1. Surprise, surprise. That's a little bit of a Bible tidbit for you today, all right? Um, Acts 1 takes place when Jesus, right before he leaves, before he ascends into heaven, he gives his final instructions to the church. And he tells them that they're going to be, or to the future church, he tells them that they will be his witnesses throughout the world. But before that happens, he says, you are to go to Jerusalem and you are to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so they go to Jerusalem and they wait. But they don't just wait. Luke tells us in Acts 1.14 that there's something else they're doing. He says, they all were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were all continually united in prayer. That's what the body of believers were doing before they even became a church. And this pattern will continue throughout the entire book of Acts We'll see just 10 verses later, Acts 1.24, when the 120 are gathered together and they need to select a replacement for Judas, someone who will fill his role as one of the 12. Before they do that, though, they pray that God would lead them to the right person. Acts 2.42, right after the day of Pentecost, Luke tells us that they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
Acts 4.24, after they've been threatened by the authorities and told to no longer preach in the name of Jesus, they come together in a house and they pray. It says, Luke says, that they raise their voices together to God, asking for boldness and for power, and God shows up. And it says, after they pray, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they go out and proclaim with boldness and power. Acts 6.4, the apostles are selecting seven men who will be deacons, who will be in charge of administering to the needs of the widows in the community, making sure that they're receiving enough food. And the reason the apostles do this is so, they say, as the leaders of the church, as the ones that God has commissioned to be leading and heading up this new movement, they say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Acts 12 King Herod throws Peter in prison. He's just executed James, and now he's looking to execute Peter. And so he's sitting there in that prison cell. But Luke says the church was praying fervently to God for him. This is just a snapshot. I could go on and on, but you may have noticed that words, whenever we talk about prayer in the book of Acts, words like fervently and continually and devoted come up a lot in the book of Acts, talking through prayer. It's not just Acts, though. Even in the epistles, Paul will command the church in Colossae. He says, Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. Be devoted to prayer and alert in it, he says. In Romans 12, he tells the church there, be persistent in prayer. Actually, that word persistent is the exact same Greek word as devoted in Colossians 4. That word devoted only comes up 10 times in the New Testament. Half of them are about prayer. Prayer is not something, as we read through the scriptures, is not something that is on the periphery of church life. It's not just some tool on our Christian utility belt that we can go to whenever we're in a bind. No, it is a fundamental aspect of the Christian life, and it is fundamental to the life of the church. It is part of our DNA to be a praying people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his famous work, Life Together, you've heard it quoted from a couple times already in this sermon series. It's his book on community. He says this in Life Together, it is, in fact, the most normal thing in the Christian life to pray together. And if we're honest, it doesn't always feel that way, does it? Normal to pray together. Natural to pray together. On the individual level, I think many Christians would count prayer as amongst their greatest struggles in life this thing that they feel they ought to be doing more of, but, but I'm just not doing it enough, and I really need to be better about it, and I don't know how to pray, and when I try to pray, the words don't come, and I, I just don't even know what I'm doing. It's just a frustration, something for them to feel guilty about. On the corporate level, when we gather together, I believe that sometimes prayer is the most overlooked aspect of our Sunday gathering. You may be able to recount the songs that we sung on a given Sunday morning and which ones you liked and which ones you didn't. You hopefully are able to recount and remember what was preached about on Sunday. How often do you find yourself thinking about, remembering, talking about what we prayed on that Sunday? Next time, prayer just 
happens to be the almost kind of take it or leave it aspect of our prayer, that it wouldn't really change the service all that much if we did it or if we didn't do it. So question, why do we? Why do we set aside time every Sunday to pray? Why does the church pray when they gather together? Now, before you say, Drew, what a stupid question, of course we're going to pray. That's, that's just what the church does. No, I know that's what the church does. That's what the church has always done. They were devoted to it. But why? Why were they so devoted to prayer? Uh, many of you know this. I don't work here. That, I, that I'm a part of a, I work for a, a parachurch campus ministry here in town called Focus. And, and we, Focus and Sunday Brook, we work hand in hand, partnering together, so much so they let me hang out and we get to do a whole lot together. But because I don't work here, my ministry is actually supported um, by, different, uh, by a bunch of different individual donors around the country and then by a number of churches around Oklahoma. Uh, that support us. And, and, and a number of these churches are, are smaller than Sunnybrook. And, and so from time to time, part of my job, I get to go and visit these churches and sometimes preach there, sometimes just share a little bit about what's going on at our ministry. One of the cool things about going to some of these smaller churches is they'll often have a time of prayer. But when they get together to pray, um, the church is small enough that it's not just one person standing up on a stage just kind of praying for everybody. They can literally take a moment and go around the room and get prayer requests from people sitting in the pews and hear what's going on in people's lives so everybody knows and can pray about those things together. It's, it's pretty cool. But if I'm honest with you, I think if I were someone who were just walking off the streets, coming into church for the very first time, and you were to ask me, why does the church pray together? I think I would be forced to conclude from a lot of those church meetings that the reason the church prays together is so there will be um, less sick people in our families. Because that's 95 to 98% of the requests that are made every time the church gathers together. And I'll pray for my uncle. He's still in the hospital. Well, my nephew's having surgery later this week. If you guys could pray for that. Uh, you know, my, my aunt, she's not doing so well. And so if you, could, if you could just be lifting her up. Every now and then you'll get kind of a, hey, remember the Moss family? They're going to be traveling this week. Pray for traveling mercies, whatever that means, actually. Um, but pray for them to be safe as they're on the road. So you'll get some of those. But by and large, it seems like the church prays so that we'll all be a little bit more healthy. Well, on the other hand, I've been in a number of larger churches where I think I could come to the conclusion, if you ask me why does the church pray, I think the answer would be um, so that we could have a smoother transition between the different elements of the service. Because, you know, it's just easier, it's way less awkward for the band to walk off the stage if everybody's closing their eyes and bowing their heads, right? It's just kind of like magic. You look up and it's empty. Abracadabra. Hey, we, we, we do these things at Sunnybrook. We, we pray after sermons and, and in between elements of the service. We, we do those things too, but, but we really do. Our worship arts team tries to be conscientious of this fact that we do not want to just use prayer as a means to transition from one thing to the other. Surely, when the Bible tells us that the church was devoted to prayer, that they were fervent in prayer, that they were persistent in prayer, they cannot mean that they were trying to make the transition time between services easier. It cannot mean that their main goal was just so there would be more healthy people in their church. So then why? Why do we pray? 
I, I think in order to be able to accurately answer that question, we must first answer another question, and that is this, what is prayer? Like at its most basic level, the most fundamental core of prayer, what is it meant to be? What is it all about? And throughout history, there have been a number of different perspectives on that. And even today, there are a number of different paradigms on what prayer truly is. And, and so I've brought today a, a few different kind of objects here, some, some means of human communication that I want to kind of share before you to kind of display or illustrate each one of these different aspects on what prayer is and what it's meant to be in our lives. So the first one is this. For those of you who don't know, this is a flare gun. Okay, don't worry. It's not loaded. At least we're about to find out. Okay. No, it's not loaded. Most of the staff was all like, I don't think it would be wise to shoot a flare off in church, Drew. You know. But I will say, uh, Jim and I were both in agreement uh, that this sermon would have been way more memorable if they had let me do that, right? We would totally, you would remember this one for forever. <laughs> So think with me for just a second. What, what is the purpose of a flare gun? When, when do you use flare guns? Use flare guns when you're in need. Use flare guns when you're stranded somewhere and you have no ability to help yourself. When you're lost and you don't know which way to go, when you don't know where you are, when you're running out of resources, when, you're, when, when you've got no ability to do something for yourself, when you have a need that you cannot meet, you shoot one of these off and it's a means of communicating, I need help. And, and there are a lot of people who say this is what prayer is. This, at its core, is what prayer is about. It is asking God to meet needs that we cannot meet. That we can't meet ourselves, whether for, ourselves, whether for us or for other people. It's calling out to God, say, in that moment when you get the call back from the doctor and the lab results are everything that you were dreading. Or when you're looking at the bills in your hands and you're looking at the bank statement in your other hand and, and you're praying out to God, I don't know how we're going to do it this month, God. I don't know. It's not math. The math isn't adding up. We don't have the means to do this. God, please provide for us. It's when you're calling out to God, telling him, I, I cannot stop. This sin is wrecking my life. I'm, I'm being overcome by temptation. Lord, you're going to have to step in and do something. You've got to help me overcome this. Or, or even in just the day-to-day, -day, Lord, I'm struggling to find patience and joy in my parenting or in my marriage. And I think that's probably a, a nice uh, uh, extra thing I need to just kind of point out here, and, and that is that there is a flaw in, in using the flare gun as illustration, because flare guns are only for emergencies. You only fire those off in, in dire need. And, and for a lot of people, that's what prayer is. It's kind of the last-ditch effort. When you're all out of options, you've got nothing else. When you're desperate, you pray. That's, that's not what I'm meaning to intend here. I'm, I'm simply trying to communicate the idea of a need that I cannot meet, something I can't get done myself. I, I go to God and ask for that. For many people, this is the idea of what prayer is truly meant to be in our lives. But th there's another actual kind of perspective on this that many people have. That would be this. 
service bell. These are means of communication. You don't, you don't ring service bells when you have a need. Ring service bells when you want service, when you have a want, when you're at the dry cleaners, when you're at a restaurant and you're wanting to order. And for a lot of people, I believe that their primary perspective on prayer is this. Now, here's the thing. Most people would not, maybe nobody would actually say that out loud, that this is what prayer is about. But I'm convinced that you know what a person believes about prayer, not by what they say, but by the way they pray. By looking at their prayer list, the things that they bring to God. And for most of us, I don't know if I can say that, for many of us, it amounts to this. For prayers that God would make my life more comfortable and more convenient, that that is what it is. It's a means of making that happen in my life. It's, it's, it's God, it's, it's this prayer that I sometimes hear a lot before going out from gathering. Lord, we just pray that as we go out from here that all of us would have a good day. Things would go smoothly, that they would go easy, that, that, that I would have success, Lord, please, that, that I could just pass this test, Lord, that I would get this promotion, or even as simple as, Lord, just let a parking spot open up, Lord. Those kinds of things that we pray about, and, and all of us fall into that stuff sometimes. Um, I found it myself, I was uh, a couple weeks ago having a pretty rough day. I'm stuck in the Charlotte airport with my wife and my three kids, and uh, we were just coming back uh, from four days of vacation. We were at Disney World there in Orlando, Florida, and for those of you who've maybe gone or haven't gone, you may not know, the only thing more exhausting than being stuck in an airport is being at Disney World with your kids. (laughs) And so we're like, I remember it was one of those days we're flying from Orlando into Charlotte, and and the problem was that a a massive, a big tornado had just gone through Charlotte, and it had completely wrecked the flight schedules for the day, and everything was going haywire. We had a total of 14 14 delays and two canceled flights on that day. Everything was falling apart, and we kept getting these messages, and we were missing flights and missing connections, and so we had made it to Orlando. Our flight to Tulsa had gotten canceled canceled, and, and now they were going to try to reroute us into Chicago, where if we could get there in time, we could sprint over to catch a plane that would take us into Tulsa and get us home by midnight. And we were exhausted. We were worn out after these days, and, and it's looking, though. I kept getting updates, and every one of my updates kept pushing my flight to Chicago back, and it was looking like we were going to miss that flight home to Tulsa, and I'm worn out, and, and we've had it, and we're done, and I just found myself praying, God, please, if there's any way for us to be able to make that flight in Tulsa. If you could just um, delay that flight that's flying to Tulsa, if you could just make whatever it takes for, for the plane to not get to Chicago in time, for, uh, for there to be mechanical issues, for the pilot to not be there. And, and as I'm praying, as I mean, this smile kind of came across my face as I began to realize that I'm, I'm, I'm praying simply just for my day to go smoother and easier. And not only that, I'm actually, I'm praying for 200 other people's days to be ruined <laughs> so that my day can go a little easier, right? I, like, I want them to, I don't want them to make their connecting flights because if they do, that means I won't make mine. And so I'm praying for something. It's not a need. It's not, it's not a it's, it's not something that I have to have. And the worst thing that happens is we sleep on the airport floor, and we did in Charlotte. We're okay. And it occurred to me how, like, how uh, 
I don't know, modern American is that prayer, that God, I've just had a really hard time at Disney World, so if you can make my day go a little easier. <laughs> it's not always this, it's not always that obvious. Sometimes people treat prayer as it's the means for them to find inner peace. It's the way they find a more fulfilled version of themselves. It's essentially still about me being kind of a better, easier me with a better, easier life. And then there are a lot of people who look at this way of praying and this view of it and go, no. No, this is everything opposite of what prayer is supposed to be. Prayer is not primarily about your wants, and, and it's not even primarily about your needs. Prayer is first and foremost about the kingdom. And what prayer is designed to be is something like this, a military wartime walkie-talkie. Military communication is not about comfort. Military communication is not about preferences or, or desires. Military communication is about action. And they would say that's what prayer is meant to be about. It's not something there to make your life easier. It's something there to further the kingdom. It's for God and his purposes. John Piper is an author and a preacher that I like a lot. He actually communicates this idea. He says in his book, Desiring God, we see repeatedly in scripture that prayer is a walkie-talkie for warfare, not a domestic intercom for increasing our conveniences. Now, the idea of prayer is that we pray for the mission of the church. That it is there, God's way of empowering us for the mission that he gave us. And so we pray for our missionaries who are over on the field. We pray for God to empower them and strengthen their work as they reach the lost. We pray for God to raise up more workers to go to the mission field. We pray for our lost friends and family members and our neighbors around us, praying that God would move in their hearts and giving us an opportunity to share the gospel with them. We pray for the leaders of our church, that God would give them vision and would give them wisdom as they lead his people onward into what he's called them to do. That is what prayer is about, they would say. But then there's another group of people who would say, actually, all three of these miss the point. All three of these, your needs, your wants, mission, are all way off of the fundamental component of what prayer is truly about. I have these two coffee mugs, which of course aren't a means of communication, but they represent a kind of communication. Face-to-face, heart-to-heart, personal. And a lot of people would argue that, that all of this misses the original intent, which is that we are designed to have a relationship with God, and prayer allows us to do that, to know him and to communicate with him. That the, prayer, the, 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 the primary means of what it is, the root of prayer, is communion and fellowship with the Father. There's this 15th century uh, French monk by the name of Brother Lawrence who is uh, famous for this belief in this idea, this practice. There's actually a book kind of written about his writings and his letters called The Practice of the Presence of God. And, and he has this statement that he feels as home and as connected to God when he's in the kitchen cleaning pots and pans because that was his job in the monastery. He's at home and as connected to God in the kitchen with his pots and pans as he was in the chapel when they were doing prayer time and singing and all of that. And the reason why is because to him he says, prayer is my means 
means of communicating, of knowing, of being in the presence of God. This is what he says in that book, Practice of the Presence. There is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice it and experience it. And the point of prayer in this perspective is that we are there to speak to, to converse with our Father, to adore Him in worship, thank Him for who He is and what He's given us, to hear Him speak to us and to know Him more deeply. So two questions. First, which one of these would you say is you? And again, I'll remind you that the better way to answer that is not to ask your opinion or your thoughts, but to look at your prayer list and what you pray about most often. But probably the the more important question here is, which of these is biblical? Which of these is right? So I want to take a look this morning just briefly through the Lord's Prayer, which we had read to us a little bit ago by Jody. I want to walk through the Lord's Prayer for a couple different reasons. One is because in it, Jesus explains for us what prayer is. And so there's no better way to know what prayer is supposed to be about, why we do it, than to see what Jesus says to pray for. And the second reason is because we're talking about corporate prayer, and and this has been the guiding prayer for the church for many centuries. This is what the church has walked through when they've prayed. It's fascinating to me that even in Jesus' teaching us how to pray, I don't know if you've noticed this before, he uses plural words. Our Father, give us this day. He, He just sort of implies, he just seems to just assume that we're going to be praying together as a church. So let's take a look at it. Matthew 6, if you want to go there, it'll be on the screens as well. But Matthew 6, and and look how Jesus describes what prayer is. He says in 6 verse 9, Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Now, stop. Right away, from the very outset of this prayer, we see Jesus' view of prayer is bigger than just some ritual that is um, done by us and if performed properly will provide us with our needs or wants. It's, It's not some incantation to some impersonal force or impersonal power. No, Jesus says here that in prayer you are engaging with an actual person. And not just any person, you are engaging with the God of the universe, the one who reigns in heaven and and who is sovereign over all things and who has made all things and also the God who has made a way through Jesus for us to relate to him as children relate to a father. Pray like this, Jesus says, our father. We see from the beginning that Jesus believes it should be like this. We're told in John to all who received Jesus that he gave the right to be called children of God. 
We're told in 1 John 3, 1, Behold, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. And so Jesus says, you address him as your Father. You are in fellowship with, you are in relationship with this one that you speak to. And, and Jesus not only talks about this, but he actually models this. We see multiple times in the scriptures where Jesus uh, is around crowds, but he often withdraws to lonely places to pray, to commune with the Father, to fellowship with him. And this relationship wells up into adoration. Your name be honored as holy. But it's not just Jesus. This kind of praying is done in a number of places throughout the scripture. Psalm 27.4, the psalmist says this, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. Or, or my favorite psalm, Psalm 73, says this, Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. See, the thinking here is, there are things that I may need, but what I need most, and therefore what I want most, God, is you. I want to be with you. I want to know you. I want to fellowship with you, and that's why I pray. But Jesus doesn't stay there. Notice how even that, that phrase in verse 9, your name be honored as holy, it's, it's like half praise, half petition. He's already moving into this next, I, I want this to be true for others as well. And so that's what we see in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So now Jesus begins to move on to requests. But his first request here is not about personal wants or even personal needs. No, the very first request that Jesus makes is this, that God's kingdom would reign here on the earth. He says that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, how is it done in heaven? Well, in heaven, everyone sees Jesus, sees God for who he truly is. Everyone worships him rightly as he deserves. People obey him with gladness of heart. People place their trust in him. People love and adore him. And so this is a prayer that in the same way that's happening up there, Lord, that's what we want to see right here on earth. That's what we want to see taking place on this earth, that people would know you and love you and follow you to that degree. And this is, by the way, the, the mission that Jesus gave us as a church before he left. Go into all the world and make disciples who will rightly see Jesus and who will follow him and obey everything that he has commanded them to do. But can we be real for a second? That's a mission that is far too big for us. Because we don't have the ability to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. But God does. And that's why he tells us to pray. This isn't the only place that Jesus tells us to pray like this. Another famous one is Matthew 9, 37 through 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest, praying for the mission. And Paul will pick up this theme several times when he asks churches to pray for him. He says, pray like this, Ephesians 6, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. 
It's a good life prayer, by the way, for yourself and for others, for this church. And much of the prayers and acts are centered around this idea, seeking and asking God to give us boldness, asking him to give uh, give us leading, asking him to give open doors for the gospel. And Lord, be with these men as we send them out on the field. Go with them in power to share your good news to other people. The idea is this. There are still in this day, in the year 2020, there are still 6,000 unreached people groups on the planet. 6,000 groups of people where less than 2% of the people know anything about Jesus. Billions of people walking around, people that Jesus deserves who do not know him and do not know the grace that he has offered to them. There are people that we walk around every day, our friends, our families, our coworkers, our neighbors, that are not submitting themselves to Jesus and are not experiencing the grace that he has given to him. And if that matters to us, and it ought to matter to us, then it should be driving us to our knees to be devoted to God in prayer, asking him to do what we cannot, to raise up more workers to go out and share the good news, and to, when those workers go, to work in the lives and hearts of people, because you and I don't have the ability to do that. That he would be working in them and drawing them to him, to his self. Now, it would sound really spiritual to say that this is all prayer should ever be. Communion with God and asking for his kingdom to come and the furthering of his mission. But when we read through the Bible, we find that that's not the only way to pray. The Bible doesn't imply that it's less spiritual to pray in some of these other ways. In fact, we do it a lot. And in fact, Jesus models it right here in the very next verse. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I find it really fascinating the way that Jesus, in just a couple sentences, goes from worshipful, your name be honored as holy, to missional, your kingdom come, to mundane. Please take care of us. Please let us have enough food. Please meet our needs, Lord, as we go throughout our day. I don't know if that surprises you or not, but if you know Jesus, and if you know the way he describes the Father, your Father, It shouldn't surprise you. Jesus often talks about in the Gospels that you have in God a good and generous Father who delights in giving good gifts to his children, who knows what you need before you even say it, and yet he longs for you to come say it so that he can answer you in prayer and take care of you. And throughout the scriptures, God's people look to him to do this very thing. They look to him in time of need. And so God's people will pray to God for provision and for protection. And they pray for courage and they pray for healing for the sick. And they pray for mercy through those, for those who are suffering. And they pray for maturity for those who are struggling to grow. And they pray for grace in their time of need. Over and over again, God's people pray about anything and everything. Paul says this in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Of course, our deepest needs are not merely physical, 
Our greatest need is for forgiveness. And Jesus goes there as well. Forgive us our debts. And our deep need is to grow in holiness. Deliver us from temptation. Don't let us be overcome by evil, by the evil one. Let us grow up in you, Lord. And so Jesus has us pray for these things as well. Now listen, held up to mission and to fellowship with God, it may seem, as I said, like a less spiritual thing to pray for this, but the Bible never gives us that impression. In fact, I believe that it is actually God-glorifying when his people come to him and confess that we are dependent on him for everything, that we need him, when we recognize our needs and come to him and lift those needs up to him, asking for him, the problem comes in when that's all we do. When all of our prayers are only flare gun prayers, when they're just for our needs to be met or the needs of other people, when that's all it ever becomes, and then it eventually begins to drift into this, not just prayers for needs, but for wants and for convenience and comfort, and it's in those moments that prayer becomes boring and lifeless because our prayers have become no bigger than ourselves, no bigger than our own little kingdom, no bigger than our own little community and our loved ones and making sure everybody's healthy and not getting too sick and not getting into too much danger and all of those things. And of course, prayer is boring in those things because we have turned in on ourselves now, on this idea here of a service bell, I, I don't want to give the idea that God does not give good blessings. Well, God, God, in his grace, often gives me more than I need. More than I need. Gives me wants, gives me blessings, gives me those things. And I, I don't even know that I can say it's always wrong to pray for those things. It's when our, when our attitude towards prayer becomes this. When our paradigm about what it's all about, when we spend all of our time over in this area, that's when things become dangerous, when things become what they were not meant to be. And I think I would argue... I, I know it's probably a little bit more complicated than this, but I, at least I think it's worth asking. Could it be that our desire to pray is small because our view of prayer is small? Could it be that our frequency in prayer is low because our vision of God and all that he offers and all that he wants to do in this world is low, is little? I'm not talking to you actually about only praying these kinds of prayers. I actually believe any time that we only focus in on one of these aspects of prayer to the neglect of the others, that prayer becomes something it was not intended to be. That we lose something, that we miss something in that. Jesus says prayer is to be about all of those things and he models all of those things. Maybe not this one quite so much. But he models all of these things in his, in his life and in the way we pray. And so when we lose any one of them, we lose something. When you neglect to pray for mission, when you neglect this aspect of prayer, we lose our urgency in it. We lose our passion in prayer because all we're praying about is little things and all we're praying about is stuff for us, which, as I said, is boring. It's boring to pray for everybody to have a good day. It's boring to pray that things will go smoothly for me. It's boring to pray that I'll catch my next flight. If that's all I ever pray about, no wonder I don't want to pray. 
If we neglect the mission, we lose the passion as we lose our outward focus. But if we neglect fellowship, if we neglect the natural relationship with God, then prayer loses its warmth. It becomes nothing but a cold transaction between human beings and deity. The pagans pray like that, Jesus says. They think that they've got to say all the right things and say it over and over again in order to be able to force the God's hands and able to force them to listen to him. Jesus says, you you don't have to pray like that because you pray to a father. He knows you. He loves you. And if we lose the fellowship aspect, we lose that understanding. But if we neglect the need aspect of prayer, then prayer loses its humility, which is the natural posture of what prayer is supposed to be about. I think also if we neglect to pray for needs, then oftentimes prayer becomes something we do for God, which is a gross distortion of what that actually is. Do you hear that in the way we talk about prayer sometimes? Sometimes we talk about prayer the way we talk about calling our mom. I really should do that more. I really should call my mom. I've been meaning to call her, and I'm trying to do a better job of staying in touch with her. We, we talk that way about prayer. I really need to do a better job of praying. I know God just wants to hear my voice, and, and I, I know he's, he's longing to meet with me, and so I just I really need to be praying and, and, and doing that more. No. God's not your mom. And he's not giving you passive-aggressive guilt trips from heaven for not calling more often. He does not gain anything when we pray, and he does not miss out on anything when we don't. The triune God is self-existent and self-sustaining and self-satisfied. He's fine whether or not we pray. It is we, church, who miss out when we are not devoted to prayer. It is we who miss out on all that he wants to do in us and for us and through us. It is we who miss out on the power that is necessary to live out our purpose as a church. It is we who miss out on the opportunity to know the one true God and to be renewed by his presence and by his love. And we need those things. They are our lifeblood. They are what make us a church. And that is why we pray. That's what we're going to do right now. We normally have kind of our time of prayer there towards the end of the service. We want to do it. We just felt like it was fitting to finish our time talking about prayer to actually do that. And so I want to ask Jeff White, one of our elders, to come up, and and he's going to help me lead you guys in a time of prayer. Now, let me say this. I I don't believe that we have to pray in all three of these ways every time we pray. I I don't think it's meant to be like that. I just think our lives ought to be oriented towards that. But today we're going to do that. Today, I want us to pray about all three of these aspects of prayer. We're going to do that by walking through the Lord's Prayer together. Jeff is going to read a line of the prayer Jesus gave us, and then he's going to pray some thoughts that are in line with that kind of prayer. And then I'll do it, and we'll go kind of back and forth like that. But I want to ask you this morning to pray with us and not just sit there and listen as we pray.
Actually, I hope we do that every time in corporate prayer. That prayer is not just one or two people talking while everyone else just passively listens in their seats, but that we together as a church would come before God engaging in this, in agreement for what we want. And so I would ask that you would do whatever it takes for you to do that, whether that means out loud agreeing with amens and yes and please, Lord, or whether that's in your mind, whatever it takes. And then when we're done actually praying, we'll give you 20 seconds after each session, 20, 30 seconds, for you to pray in line with some of the things you've heard us pray about so that as a body we would come before God in prayer today. So let's do that now. Won't you join with us? Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Dear Father, we adore you and we want to know the eternal creator of our universe. Mm -hmm. Father, forgive us when our adoration fails to recognize like the prophets of old that all of the waters in the universe you hold in the hollow of your hand. Mm -hmm the size of all the universes you measure within your span. Father, help our faith reflect your attributes. Yes. Father, we want to lead obedient lives. Father, help us lead lives that honor your holy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is our desire, Lord that here in Stillwater and, and overseas in Japan and in Ghana and in Poland and in Ethiopia and in Spain, that the people who do not know you would turn to see you for who you are and that as your will is done in heaven, that it would be done there and that it would be done here in Stillwater in that way, that people that you deserve that you died for would come to see that. And we know that that is our task, Lord, that you have given us, but we also know that the task is too big for us. That we, we don't have the ability to change anybody's heart. We don't, have the, we don't have the right words. We don't have the power to make this happen. We can't raise up more people. That's you. And so we confess our need and ask that you would empower us and give us boldness to speak the gospel to our lost friends, that you would raise up workers, that you would empower them as they go out into the world, and that you would give wisdom to our leaders, that you would give your vision for what you want to do in this world to them. Father, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Father, we desperately need you, uh, Lord, and we know that in Christ you have given us both um, the solution to our physical and spiritual needs. Father, you've provided both in Christ. We're so grateful. Lord, it's our prayer that uh, our lives illustrate um, the wonder of Jesus Christ and that others may have a desire to seek him uh, through our witness, through our obedience, and through uh, our living out our faith to bring honor to your holy name. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We believe that you have made us, Lord, in your image. And what we want, Lord, and what we know you do in us is to remake us in Christ's image. I confess for myself and on behalf of my brothers and sisters that I often have my eyes drawn away from you, that I many times love my sin more than I love you, that we love our sin more than we love you. Lord, help us in this. 
We are weak in our flesh, and so we pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who empowers us to also sanctify us, to make us holy for your name's sake, to make us more like Jesus, that we could live lives of love and maturity and godliness, of holiness, that we as a church would be marked by the fruit of the Spirit working inside of us. And now to you who are able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.